This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, now a lot of what we've talked about is related to TV or radio, but there, of course there also are other medium. I mean, you've, you know, you've got the writing that you do for newspapers. I know that you've done opinion pieces, so have I. Yeah. That's a different kind of engagement. How is that, how is that different than, than what we've been talking about, the radio and the television? Well, let me again say that uh, I'm sure you will say the same thing. Whenever I've written pieces for the Dallas Morning News, Miami Herald, whatever it might be, um, very well treated, very professional. Uh, part of that is due to the fact they're dealing with a lot of other columnists and people, so they don't go in and change what you're writing and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So you really have to recognize, number one, who your audience is. If it's in a newspaper or it's in a news magazine and they're going to give you space, sometimes 600 words, which is quite a bit for them to give you, That's right. you have to be able to explain it in 600 words. And if you are used to writing books, it's a real different <laughs> exactly when you write correct. newspaper columns. Right. You and I both know that that's very right. well. And you also have to assume that they're not going to edit you, and that's both good and bad. It's good in the sense that you get to say it clearly to them. It's bad if you needed an editor before you turned it in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you make a, a mis- misstatement of fact or maybe a grammatical error. I can remember a few times in the Dallas Morning News, uh, Kirby Anderson's column said such and such, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I missed that one. Yeah. I- I've had very few of those, but the fact that I can remember them 20 years later tells you that they do have an impact. <laughs> That's exactly So right. again, I recognize that you in the written form can really communicate that. And the good news is once in the old days when it was in the newspaper, that was it. But now now you can take that same piece and you can put it on your blog post or you can put it on your Facebook or you can maybe shop it to others or sometimes people will take it and post it at other venues. So the uh, echo chamber for what you write can be very, very significant. Yeah, that's actually something that's really changed in the last 20 years, I would say. You know, when I used to do a piece, it would go in the paper, be on the opinion page. Someone would say, oh, I saw your piece in the paper and that would be it. it. You know, that. but now you post it. And and someone else says, oh, I really like that. I'm going to let people know about that. Boom, on Facebook. There it is, and it's going to all their friends. And then someone else picks it. And, of course, the expression that's come common now, you know, it's gone viral. It's gone viral. Uh, mm-hmm. um, is, is a phenomenon we didn't have before. So it does show that if you, if you hit the right nerve or make the right point, that you're actually reaching and touching people you did not have the capability of touching uh, or reaching before. I, you know, I've done, for, I, I've done both an individual blog for six years on Bible.org, but then I've also done, and this has actually been an interesting experience, Dallas Morning News has a religion blog, mm-hmm. and every Tuesday, it, it shows up every Tuesday, they ask us on Friday, in fact, I'll be asked, asked this afternoon, every every week they ask us a question, and that is a panel of anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. If we had a table that reflected all the people, right, you know, we've got Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus. Uh, we've got, uh, I think, a, a Wicca. I mean, it, it's 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 yeah, the true. whole shooting match yeah. at that party. So um, they ask us one question, and we all weigh in, and they just simply put our answers next to one another. There we are, and 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 you're given. Uh, they want under 300 words, right? So now, actually, 
when I try and answer it, I try and answer it within 150 because what I because in my own thinking, I'm thinking a reader looking at this table full of mm-hmm. responses coming from you know a variety of people, each of whom takes 300 words to say what they're going to say. You're going to get lost right. unless you're really crisp right uh and and so uh that's but that's another kind of experience and and i actually like that kind of engagement because even though the risk is your voice gets lost in the many voices that come at the table if if no one from a christian point of view speaks into that space then what 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 do you end up with you end up with the the variety that's there with no representation of a point. Christian point of view. Yeah. Uh, I once had a discussion with Os Guinness about this, who didn't think it was that valuable to do this, and and, and that was really my response. My response to him was, you know, if no one comes forward who represents evangelicalism in that space, then evangelicalism is uh, when that table is presented before the entire public of Dallas, uh, there's no voice. And uh, that is, I think, uh, sometimes uh, sometimes we we I think we misassess, if I can say it that way, um, uh, the significance, even in a setting in which there is a lot of competing uh, and cacophony going on in terms yeah. of what's going on. I was just going to say that very same thing because we have again a bias that comes from worldview, and that is, I remember when I first started trying to get my column, and first the Dallas Times Herald, later the Dallas Morning News, uh, I even remember at the time the guy at the Dallas Times Herald who later ended up picking up Cal Thomas's column but he was looking out over Dallas and he was saying you know I didn't even know there is a Dallas Theological Seminary because I began to talk about Dallas Seminary I talked about the largest seminary in the world Southwestern Baptist Seminary I talked about Catholic Diocese I talked about the number of Baptist churches mm-hmm. he says I didn't even know this existed and I said and he said look at all and he then points to the sports section he said look at all the people I have covering the Dallas Cowboys and all the sports, and I don't even write at the moment, have a religion editor. And he said, you know, truth be told, on Sunday, probably more people go to church than actually go to watch the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think you've got it. But yeah. see, he lived in a world, he knew secular Dallas, That's right. but he didn't know Christian Dallas, and he certainly didn't know evangelical Dallas. And yet, the bottom line is, we represent a very significant population. And if we're not represented on the opinion page, if we're not represented in radio programs, if NPR can do programs day after day after day, and never relate to anything like that. If ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox, MSNBC can cover all this without talking about evangelicals, we're to blame for it because we're not in there actually culturally engaging the society. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.
I think that's very, very true, and I think that that's a, an extremely important point. And what's interesting is is that at least in some cultures, um, there is sensitivity to moving into that space from someone who comes out of a secular background. I've found the morning news, generally speaking, and I know we're speaking very locally now, but I've found sure. the very morning news to be very willing to have a seat at the table mm-hmm. that represents evangelicals and make sure that they're represented fairly and to learn about what it is, uh, the thinking is, that kind of thing. That Those engagements have been very, very healthy and very, very positive. And they've been healthy for me because what they have done for me is, of course, I end up interacting with people who normally I don't get to interact with. If right. I wasn't in that space, I wouldn't be having those conversations with those people with that background. And it enhances what I do because, because I'm able to learn from the interaction that I have with them. And I would say again to some of the people watching this that uh, maybe your local newspaper has a place for you. Now, I know that there are some pastors out there that might write a column or things of that nature, but just again, don't see the media as your enemy. Uh, they have a very large megaphone, whether it's uh, the local television program, the radio program, newspapers, or other things. There are just some great ways that you can interact. And it is going to be tough to get into the New York Times, the Washington Post, or even LA Times. But the reality is most of the other newspapers in the country are probably looking for good stories and information, and uh, maybe there's an opportunity for you to write an opinion piece. So I would encourage people to go for it. Yeah, I I, I can I compare the media to – now, when I'm in the Middle East or, or in Turkey, I'll say the bazaar. But I think <laughs> uh, but I, I think maybe the model to here is a mall. You yeah. know, it really is a mall. You've got a variety of stores. They all have their own niche and what they're doing, that kind of thing. And you want to – you want to step in and, and engage, and I, I, my exhortation is very much the same. You know, people who end up being pastors in churches, particularly in somewhat smaller communities, actually have a lot of a potential very to have access so. to this kind of thing if they'll cultivate those relationships and pursue them. And there's something of value in 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 engaging with people who otherwise might not have an encounter with people of Christian faith and with the church because they have lived a very secularized life. And in the process uh, of developing those relationships, there may be uh, opportunity for open doors as a result. You know, you also mentioned one other thing I want to pick, come back to real quickly before we move on, and that is how it helped you to interact with people with very different viewpoints. Uh, your experience of the Dallas Morning News was mine. A number of years ago, the Dallas Morning News was moving from having a religion page to a religion section. And I was invited into some of those meetings. And let me just introduce some of the people who sat around my table. I mean, to the left was a man who was American Indian, smelled of leather, were very much mm-hmm. involved in animist uh, studies and uh, research and uh, various kinds of ceremonies. Uh, the man to my right was uh, someone whose parents grew up during the Holocaust and had a Jewish background but converted to Mormonism. Don't ask. Long, long story. <laughs> yeah. Across from him was a woman that actually is the pastor of the church that had the largest number of AIDS-infected people in um, Dallas because it's a homosexual church. Next to her was a Tibetan Buddhist monk. Next to him was the local imam from the mosque. That's a pluralism that we rarely encounter in our churches and, that's and in the our world community. in Dallas. I mean, that is the world. And yeah. so I think it's very helpful for us to interact with those people. 
people to understand some of their ideas and to recognize that this uh, pluralistic culture that we live in is probably even more pluralistic because we were talking about how the media lives in a bubble. Right. We Christians live in a bubble too, don't we? Absolutely. Well, that's what we're back to the point about there are cultures and these cultures yeah. together exist side by side and sometimes they're mixed together like a stew and sometimes they're each in their own enclave and 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 part of the uh, calling of a Christian is to is to not be sure that they're not just in the enclave but that they actually are engaged in, in the commission of, of taking uh, the message of the gospel out to people you know I, there's one other thought before I turn to a new topic and that is um, I'm thinking about you know what caused the Dallas Morning News to do a religion section or what caused Peter Jennings to hire a religion reporter at one time and that is there was this awareness on the part of the secular media uh, uh, at least those who who came out of a secular worldview that religion does impact the way people make decisions and that they couldn't ignore it they had to yeah. they had to cover it if they really were going to do their job and this goes back to the idea I was talking about earlier which is that the, there is a a heavily properly professional strand in the media that is simply trying to do their job as they see it. Their job as they, you know, the church didn't hire didn't hire the people who do our news. Yeah. Uh, they aren't in the church. They they are they are designed to communicate to the society the variety of things that are going on in the society and to be a mirror. And that's when they're doing their job right. That's what they're trying to do. And again, like as we came back to it, it really comes back to just the bias that comes from worldview. They don't live in this world. They don't go to church or synagogue. They don't know people that do. And uh, whether you look at the Lichter Rothman report for the news media or for television or for movies, yes, there God's people are in every one of those arenas. But they oftentimes tend to be segmented. Uh, you have certain studios, for example, in Hollywood that are more Christian friendly than others which means the other studios maybe never thought about that. Some television programs have hired a number of Christians so that they tend to be more Christian-friendly, but then others don't maybe even know Christians. And so this, again, is incumbent upon us to educate them because they just don't live in that world. And so when they try to understand religion or the impact that religion has, it doesn't maybe affect many of them. But if they're going to be fair and honestly reflect the world, you need to explain to them why it does affect the lives of many other Christians. And particularly for younger people who might be interacting with this uh, and, and watching us, uh, I think it raises the question of the fact that there are many healthy callings that a person can have. And the idea of being a Christian who is a professional journalist and who moves in the media direction and, and who, who, who can can operate in that kind of world, that's a very worthy calling to be thinking about uh, doing. I, I mentioned that my daughter trained as a journalist, and so, you know, she she went into that world in the hopes that she would, and she's ended up in the church, but she, she went into that world in the hopes of, of studying in the media and being, being a voice that would be part of the conversation, and I think that's a very worthy goal. I would agree with Join us next week for part four of The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.